How many of you had a good Thanksgiving? And kind of see you out there. Um, anybody do traveling this Thanksgiving? A few, a few less hands. Well, I hope you did have a good Thanksgiving. And uh, I always love looking uh, towards the Christmas season. It's my favorite uh, time of the year. Um, it's the most wonderful time of the year, as the song, the lyrics to the song goes. Um, but um, we we look forward to uh, Chris, the, the Christmas season. Um, how many of you have a tree up already? Can we get the house lights on? Can't really see you guys. There you are. Nobody left, so everybody's here. How many of you have your tree up? How many of you are planning to do it this week? Put it up. Okay, we got one. The rest are non-committal. I see how it is. Uh, all right. Well, uh, yeah, we have uh, we have our tree up, and we have uh, even our outside lights up, and uh, so we're good to go. Um, now there is a small section where the lights aren't working, but uh, that's all right. Uh, but it is good to see you, and I do hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Um, we are actually going to be um, taking a break uh, from our Joshua series for the holidays um, after this week. Um, for the next three weeks, we'll be doing a, a little bit of an unusual series um, for Christmas, uh, but we're looking at the Christmas story uh, from the vantage point of Revelation chapter 12. Um, so in preparation for uh, the next few weeks, take some time uh, reading through Revelation 12 a couple times, and, and uh, we're going to be looking at that uh, over the next several weeks of the Christmas season. Uh, also, Pastor Dennis mentioned, and I want to encourage you um, to sign up for a prayer slot um, for uh, the live nativity. Uh, we need God to be at work. Uh, we can do all of this stuff, uh, but without the Lord at work, it really is in vain. Um, there's something neat about just uh, gathering together specifically in prayer and knowing that other uh, brothers and sisters here in our church family are doing likewise. Um, so we just had a time of prayer um, last night. You may say, well, Pastor Adam, why do I need to sign up? Well, you don't, um, but it is a bit of a sort of accountability and also a little bit of more of a, a feeling of joining in corporately with what uh, we're doing together as a church family. Um, so even if you're like us and you, forget the, you, you forgot the normal time that you signed up for, um, that's okay. Um, but knowing that you're joining with the body and you are praying together. So I encourage you to do that uh, after the morning service to sign up for a time slot that works for you. And uh, we're going to be in Joshua 5. Um, if you're not there already, you can also kind of put a marker in Exodus 23. We're just going to look at one passage from Exodus 23. Uh, so I'd invite you to do that. But God is such a good God, isn't He? When He calls us to hard things, He gives us continued assurances of His promises. He promises us His presence. He promises us His grace to see us through to the other side. 
He also promises that he is enough. But, in the midst of these special promises, we have to have spiritual eyes to be aware of the promises that He presents to us. We have to be, in other words, in a spirit of submission, in a a spirit of of dependence in order to appreciate those promises. Because if those ways aren't our heart attitudes then what we're going to see is that we are, our, our hearts are prone to desire other things outside of Him. Well, this heart of submission and dependence is exactly where we find Joshua as we come to the end of chapter 5. You see, in chapter 5, in verses, uh, starting in verse 13, we begin a second section to the book of Joshua. So this is actually going to be a perfect place for us to take a break during the holiday season. Chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, open this second section of the book of Joshua that runs through chapter 12. In fact, uh, these next couple verses that we are looking at this morning are sort of a hinge passage that close out section 1 and bring us into section 2. In section 1 of Joshua, which was chapter 1, verse 1, to five, chapter 5, verse 12, we basically see preparations for the conquest of Canaan. And then in section 2, which is chapters 5, verse 13, all the way to chapter 12, we read of the conquest itself. And we'll be looking at that in the new year. And in our passage today, we read of a divine encounter that's further preparing Joshua for conquest. Now, if, as we've seen in our, in, our, in our study so far, we've already found that God has promised to be with Joshua. God says, don't fear, Joshua. I will be with you. Chapter 1, verses 5 and 9. And He's promised that victory will be His. I will give you the land that I swore to your fathers. Yet on top of all this, God desires to embolden Joshua more. He has more yet to teach Joshua before he is ever to engage in his first conflict in the land of Canaan. You see, Joshua needs to be emboldened by seeing that he is not the main guy he's not the main guy that kind of seems like an oxymoron or an ironic statement that that to become more confident he must become less self-reliant yet this is exactly the case for joshua and it's exactly the case for us we have to realize that we are not the main guy, the main girl of the story. 
that we will actually become more confident by being less self-reliant. That's not the way the, the, the world system works, is it? The world system is, you know, in order to become more confident, you just need to rely more on what you bring to the table. That, you know, you're more special than you give yourself credit for. You see, we have to start to develop the heart attitude that He must increase and I must decrease. That's what John the Baptist said. Even though Joshua was leading this great people, this this army, he was not the main person in charge. There was someone greater. And this is what we are going to center our attention on this morning. The title of today's sermon is God's Commander. Or the Commander of the Lord's Army. And we're going to see this morning how Joshua was encouraged by his encounter with God's Commander. And how we can be encouraged by our great commander who's Jesus Christ you see again we come to the principle of our series a conquering faith is a faith in Christ and if we are to exercise a faith a daily faith in Christ that he is sufficient for all things we are going to need to recognize in a heart of submission and dependence that Jesus is our commander. He is the main guy of our lives, of our stories, of our circumstances. He is the main guy of our week this coming week. He is the, the centerpiece, the one who holds all things together. Even those mundane things that we think somehow slip the attention of God. He is there in the center. We're going to look today at three aspects of God's commander and how this points us to Jesus. How this brings us more confidence in our Christian lives. So let's begin with prayer. Lord, I pray this morning that you would, Lord, show us truth. God, give us spiritual eyes to see, spiritual hearts to discern the truth of your word. Lord, we're bombarded with messages focused on self every day of the week. God, we're tempted by the allurements, by the philosophies of Satan. Lord, to find our comfort and our strength from within. To find it from things that we can achieve for ourselves. Lord, Satan desires us to forget that our hope is in another. One that has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. One who is at work in our lives. Who is, in, who is interceding before your throne. Lord, one who promises 
to not only be the author, but the finisher of our faith. So Lord, would today's passage remind us of Jesus, of our great commander. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just have a few verses here to look at, but, but such powerful truths. In verse 13, Tim read it for us, but it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. The first aspect of this commander of the Lord's army that we have to realize is that this commander was ready for battle. He was ready for battle. What we see here in in verse 13, here at the beginning of verse 13, the importance of this moment when Joshua was by Jericho. The importance of this moment is shown to us by both the location of Jericho and the preparation that the Israelites just had in crossing the Jordan. I have on the screen a map for you, and, and it shows here Jericho. There's, there's two locations of Jericho. One, uh, the location of Jericho in the Old Testament, and then um, uh, the other dot there represents the location of Jericho in the New Testament. But you can see when the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, uh, which is that squiggly line coming out of the mouth of the Dead Sea there at the bottom, Um, you see that Jericho was the first major city that the Israelites are encountering. When we read when Joshua was by Jericho, a map helps us get a, 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 a visual image of how much by Jericho they were, this great impenetrable city. We see here that the people would be poised for war. In fact, we saw in in chapter 5, we saw that the people were by Jericho. At the end of of verse 10 in chapter 5, they were by the plains of Jericho. Jericho was the doorway of sorts into the land of Canaan for the Israelites. And this would be a very intimidating city. And even in light of verse 1 of chapter 5, the fear of the inhabitants of Canaan, this would still no doubt be an intimidating situation for the children of Israel. They are by Jericho. But we also think of the preparation that had just occurred for the Israelites. They cross the Jordan River. They're right there at the plains of Jericho. And you would think it would be okay, as we discussed last week, it's time for war. But God says basically not so fast. You are my people. This is my battle. 
I want you first to consecrate yourselves to me. And the men, they were, they were in keeping with, um, with uh, the sign of, of, the, of the covenant. They were circumcised. They observed the Passover. And they were worshiping their God because the battle was not theirs. And likewise, we see again God comforting Joshua. Who Joshua was a mighty warrior. If you want to read uh, in the book of, uh, of Numbers, in the book of Exodus, of the, some of the battles even in the wilderness that, that Joshua had already partaken of. He was a mighty warrior. Yet even Joshua had not passed this way before. And he is again encouraged that this is not his battle. We see this not only because of the importance of the moment in which verses 13 to 15 are found, but the preparedness of the warrior, the one whose battle it was. This commander appears to Joshua. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, so you get the tenseness of the moment that we just talked about, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him. This man, you can put in quotes, was there before Joshua. He appeared to Joshua. This commander took the initiative to come to Joshua. It was not Joshua that somehow was begging, oh Lord, we've crossed the river, now what are we going to do? We've been here for several days now, what do we do? No, in the exact right time, at the exact right moment, this mighty warrior appears to Joshua. He took the initiative. The very wording here is meant to remind us of Moses' encounter at the burning bush. As I've mentioned before, this was a type of, of, of second exodus. This is a, a, a repeat, only greater, of what God has already done. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 to 3, it'll be on the screen. It says here, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And here's the similar wording. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Once again, in the life of Moses... Who was it that took the initiative to pursue Moses and to give him instruction? It was God. You see, so many times we can think, you know, God is somehow hiding from me. He's distant. What does God want me to do? And folks, we see from the example of Joshua and the Israelites 
I mean, what greater of a tense and vulnerable situation can you be than being across the Jordan River as a relatively small army facing all of these mighty nations knowing that without God you're hopeless? And what did they do that we already saw in chapter 5? They simply followed God in those things that he instructed, that were most obvious, that were consecrating themselves to him and saying, God, you lead the way. That's exactly what we need to be doing in our lives. I remember in, 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 uh, as a high schooler, in junior high and high school, thinking, you know, what does God want me to do with my life? Then I remember thinking later, where does God want me to go to school? Then I remember later thinking, I wonder who God has for me to marry, if anyone. And then I remember upon gra- uh, 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 coming upon graduation and seminary, thinking, I wonder what I should be doing. I wonder if God has a ministry. I've been studying for, uh, for, for pastoral ministry. I wonder where God desires to lead me to serve. And you know, you just take it right down, right down the, road, the line. Well, I wonder when God is going to give us children, if He is. Um, and, and, and there's all of those details of life, and, and none of those things could be figured out. And, and, and to be honest with you, I never envisioned that I would be in north central Pennsylvania. We don't figure out the details of our lives. You know what we simply do? We consecrate ourselves to God and we seek to follow Him according to Scripture. That's God's leading. And we let God take the initiative in those other details of our lives. Because whether you're 10 or whether you're 70, You're looking to God to fill in the details of your life. It never stops. We are simply called to follow God. Let Him take the initiative to reveal Himself and His next steps for you. But you know what you are called to do in the moment. That He is to be your priority. He is to be the one that you follow. He is the one that you devote and consecrate yourself to. You know that. And that's all you need to know. You see, God is an initiator. He appeared to Joshua. Joshua did not appear to him. But not only that, but the preparedness of this warrior is seen in the description of just how prepared he was. It says here in verse 13, not only was he standing before him, but he had his sword drawn in his hand. He was more prepared than Joshua was for what lay ahead. There's two other occurrences of this phrase of uh, 
the angel of the Lord with, with his sword drawn. Um, to a current, uh, there's two places there in Numbers chapter 22. The angel of the Lord is standing in the road with his sword drawn when Balaam is on his donkey. Remember that story? Um, trying to be a prophet for, for hire. And he starts kicking his donkey and getting mad because the donkey's getting out of the way of the angel of the Lord with his sword. And then the, the donkey talks to him. You know, that was the first Mr. Ed episode, if you know who that is. And then secondly, in 1 Chronicles 21.16, we see the angel of the Lord that was, had his sword drawn bringing judgment because of uh, David's sin in counting the people. But this is an indicator of this mighty warrior's great strength and battle readiness. This was again to move Joshua's eyes from self as if he must have any reliance upon himself and to move it onto the Lord. That again, this is God's battle. Like we had discussed, have discussed earlier in this series, this isn't simply Israel that is going into the land of Canaan to, to have land for themselves and slaughtering. No, the whole context in Deuteronomy is this is God using Israel to bring judgment on those who have rejected Him. This is God's battle. Like what one individual said, Joshua has been made aware of the presence of one greater than man whose drawn sword clearly speaks of combat readiness, and whose army is nothing less than that of the Lord Himself. What more is there to know before the conquest is to begin in earnest? Folks, maybe today you are at a transitional time in your life. Maybe there's a big decision ahead of you. Maybe there's health issues. Maybe there are uh, job situations. Maybe there... Uh, the Lord is, is leading you to step out of your comfort zone in one way or another. Um, it could be anything. But one thing you need to know at the very beginning, before things even begin, is who's, who is in control. Joshua needed to be reminded of this. The application here, I think, is evident. The battle is just simply not ours. Does Joshua have a key role? Absolutely. I mean, Joshua here is Moses' replacement, and he is, he is to lead these people, but even Joshua, even someone as mighty as him, he is not the end-all solution. He is not the answer here. There's a really neat proverb. Proverbs 21.31, it says this, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. You know what that's saying? You know, you can have the, the mightiest horse 
You can have the greatest rider on that horse. You can have the greatest warrior. But guess who ultimately brings victory? It's not the preparation of that horse or the rider or whatever the case may be. Victory belongs to the Lord. Man, this should humble us. That God uses us. He, he chooses to use us. But there is no glory that we can claim ourselves. This should encourage us that, you know what, we don't have to have this great ability or this great talent or, or be, have this type personality or whatever the case may be to be used by God. It's about Him and what He accomplishes, not ourselves. Again, D.R. Davis says this, What a great comfort this must have been to a man and people about to carry on military conflict. Ultimate responsibility does not rest on Joshua's shoulders, nor are the twelve tribes the only army fighting for their cause. The God of the Bible has a knack for tailoring the disclosures of His character to the various and particular needs of his people. Wow, that last sentence is so true and powerful. The God of the Bible has a knack for tailoring the disclosures of his character to the various and particular needs of his people. I mean, that's one of the reasons it's such a blessing to hear testimonies, and it was such a blessing to hear uh, uh, our congregation sharing at our Unite Night, just uh, what they're thankful for, how the Lord has been working, and, and you hear different aspects of God's character that has meant so much to various people because of what they're going through and the challenges that, 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 that we face. Why? Because God is revealing His true and trustworthy character to meet the needs of our moments. Now the question is, are we looking to the One who is ready for battle? The battle is not ours. But there's a second aspect of this mighty warrior that can encourage our faith. Not only is the mighty warrior here ready for battle, but the mighty warrior is exalted in his position. What good is it to place our confidence in someone who is of equal status to us or less? But folks, Jesus is exalted. This messenger, this warrior, divine warrior, is exalted. Notice the question that Joshua asks him. I mean, I would be curious about this too if I saw a mighty warrior with his sword drawn, and obviously he looks divine. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? Or for our adversaries? That's a pretty good question, right? But we're gonna, what we're going to see here is uh, this verse indicates Joshua's limited perspective. See, Joshua tried to size up the situation. Tried to size up 
this divine messenger. In this simple and yet logical question, are you for us or for our adversaries? He tried to put this messenger in a box. He saw things in a two-dimensional realm. For us or for them? What's, What's going on here? And the warrior gives a self-revelation of himself at the beginning of verse 14. And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. He doesn't answer A or B. How many of you ever remember in elementary, I like you, do you like me? Circle one, yes or no? kind of what Joshua's doing. And isn't that, isn't that uh, kind of a simple depiction of, of the limited perspective of Joshua? Almost like giving, you know, guys giving that girl that, that, that note, circle one, yes, no. Of course, sometimes you had the third option, maybe. Joshua has a limited perspective and this warrior's self-revelation is, first of all, that he cannot be confined to Joshua's categories. You see, he had come for a higher purpose than simply to back Joshua. Basically, what this commander is saying, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, he is saying, I'm not simply coming to back up your plans or to some, I'm somehow coming in your name. No, I'm doing something greater. I am leading you. I will lead you into the ways of God, into the plans of God, the one whom I am coming for. You see, he is the commander of a greater army. God's army. This word hosts can also be translated army from the Hebrew. It is used of the Israelites. For instance, Exodus 12 says that God, the Lord, brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. This word host describes the, the, the celestial Planets and stars, the hosts of the sky. This word host can refer to angels. When it says, Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. And specifically here in verse 14, he is saying, There is a heavenly army that you know not of. And I am the commander of this heavenly army. And his third aspect of this self-revelation is he has come to do God's bidding. In fact, he says here in verse 14, Now I have come. As one person stated, this is a divine being with a divine mission. Again, the battle was not Joshua's. Just as 
this divine being, this commander of the Lord's army, was doing God's bidding. So Joshua was to do likewise. If you're in Exodus 23, we have another picture of this commander or at least a passage where we see very similar actions and expression while there's mystery to these to these divine appearances in the Old Testament which the theological term for these are theophanies or uh, God God's God in the flesh in the Old Testament God appearing as a as a person or a Christophany Christ's pre-incarnate appearance to men. We read in Exodus 23, verse 20, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way, to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey His voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. You see how God can't be confined to just one or the other. He says, verse 23, When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. And it continues um, down the passage. But you see, this is where they're at now, verse 23. As my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and it continues. This was a divine warrior that was preparing the way. What is the application here for us today? We saw, first of all, the battle is not ours, but we also see we can know because of our commander, Jesus Christ, that it is not somehow that God is behind us to do our bidding, but we have the assurance through our great commander, Jesus, that God is indeed for us. In fact, Romans 8.31 says this, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter, so to speak, if it's the mighty army of Jericho. As we'll see in our, in our series over the next couple weeks in Revelation 12, again, if God is for us, who can be against us? It is our commander who has gone before us and paved the way of faith. He has won the victory. And we are now walking in that victory with still little battles to be fought. But the victory, the ultimate victory, has already been accomplished. Jesus has gone before us and paved the way. Will we walk by faith? That leads us lastly to this third aspect of this divine warrior that can give us encouragement. He is worthy of our devotion. 
At the end of verse 14, it says, And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. We see three responses here to Joshua's recognizing the greatness of this commander. The first response was that of worship. It says here, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped or bowed. And this is a natural response to being in God's presence, is it not? And and, and folks, as we've seen earlier in chapter 5 with crossing the Jordan and, and the people needing to put themselves once again under God's covenant through the, the, the symbolizing act of circumcision, through observing the Passover. A heart of worship precedes actions of worship. Before Joshua ever does anything for God in Canaan, he is worshiping God. Have you lost the heart of worship in your life? Are you simply doing things for God as if somehow that's what God desires? I know as a pastor in ministry, you're always doing ministry, so to speak, and it is so easy to lose a heart of worship for so-called actions of worship that are just empty. And I think that temptation is for all of us. God is interested in your heart. God doesn't need your actions. You know, it's easy as a pastor and and it's easy as a church member to think, well, well, I need to do this because if I don't do this for my church, who's going to do this and who's going to do that? And if I don't step up here, who's going to step up here? And, and, and we start thinking that somehow we kind of are taking the place of God. And Satan wants to bring to our attention, hey, yeah, you know, God doesn't really need you, but wow, this church will fall apart if you don't do this or this or this. This ministry will fall apart if you're... Don't do this and this and this. And Satan, through the back door, causes all of these to-dos to take the place of true devotion. And what do you have when that takes place? A dead, empty soul and an empty, dead, go-through-the-motions church. You know, if we were to do nothing for 2024, and we were to say, let's, let's stop all of the official ministries and simply gather together and pray and beseech God and ask Him to grip our hearts, I think that that could very well be the most successful and spiritually enriching year in the life of our assembly than if you were to do a million things. Because the work is not up to people. 
God chooses to use people and to truly use people that are seeking Him. That doesn't mean we, that we can't be busy, but is that busyness really doing anything? We are to be people of worship. But also this text goes on and says, when he falls down and he worships, what does he say? It's, uh, Joshua says there, what does my Lord say to his servant? The second response of Joshua in recognizing this is the Lord is humility and obedience. You see, Joshua is put in his place. Not in a condescending way. In an uplifting way. He is not the commander. I mean, I can see Joshua in the midst of the, the, the wondrous awe of seeing this uh, pre-incarnate image that of falling in worship. You can feel probably the deep Ah, this is the one in charge, not me. Joshua's put in his proper place. And he acknowledges that by saying, what does my Lord say to his servant? In other words, just like we read throughout the Old Testament, when people saw the Lord or heard His voice, what would their answer be? Here am I, Lord. This is Joshua's version of that. Lord, what do You have? Speak for Your servant hears. Is that our hard attitude? And then we see thirdly, His response is one of consecration. Here's what the commander has him do. Take off your sandals from your feet for the place you are standing is holy. Does that ring a bell? Joshua was in the presence of holiness. It's exactly what happened to Moses again at the burning bush. When from the fire comes a voice, do not come near, take your sandals off of your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. This great commander with his sword drawn doesn't say, okay, Joshua, this is what we're going to do. You're going to line up your guys over here. We're going we're to go around. We're going to do a sneak attack. We're going uh, to... No, he says, take off your shoes. You're in the presence of God. Kneel and be still. Be silent. Seems totally contrary to what we would think, to human logic, but spiritually necessary. I think there's a lot of individuals today, myself included, that instead of being busy about this and busy about that and doing this and doing that, we need to simply take off the sandals of our feet, so to speak. And worship in the presence of holiness. 
Again, as D.R. Davis says, at least talking about this divine encounter, its primary function was not to give specific instructions, but to bring about reverent submission. Sometimes we need to see that Yahweh is not so much partisan as sovereign. That it is more important to recognize God's position than to know God's plans. We can easily become more interested in special guidance than in right relationship with the guide. As we close here in application, I want to ask you three questions. First of all, does your heart yearn for Jesus Himself? Or what you think you can get out of Him? Or depending on your wiring, maybe it's not even what you can get out of Him. But does your heart yearn for Jesus Himself or what you think you must do for Him? Both ends of the spectrum have a focus on self. Jesus, I don't need to have the playbook, but I need you. As a deer pants for the water, Lord, my heart longs for you. Number two, do you see Jesus as your commander who has come to you and given you the victory? Your calling is not to somehow get the victory, it's to walk in the victory. Then number three, are you walking in His holiness? Joshua was called to take off his sandals from his feet. Are you walking in that holiness? I'm not talking about are you doing the right things here and here and here to check off a box. I'm talking about are you walking in the holiness that Jesus has already provided? a daily awareness of what Jesus has done and is doing in your life. You see, a conquering faith is a faith in Christ. And that conquering faith, what does it look like? It is, a, it is an acknowledgement of Jesus as our commander. Our commander for every day of life. Let's pray. Lord, as we close today, Lord, it is so easy 